Hello there and welcome to The Extraordinary Podcast. My name is Tobias. I'm your host. I'm also the founder of The Future Academy and brand consultancy Wonder Inc. And hey, a new year, a new decade. Happy New Year to you. I hope that you've set some really, really inspiring new goals and I hope you're already working on them uh, full steam as we uh, speak. So you should be up and running already and running hard and fast toward those goals. And uh, in this episode, I have Joe Pine on the podcast. He was our first guest ever. He's a dear friend. I've, I've known him for about 10 years. I greatly admire everything he does, and uh, I, I'm really excited to share his wisdom and his insights with you. He has a new book out. It's actually a relaunch of the legendary Experience Economy, which he co-wrote in uh, the late 90s. And so we're going to talk about that book, and we're going to talk about a lot of really interesting uh, stuff when it comes to differentiation, when it comes to building your business, what it takes to compete with experiences versus uh, offerings versus products versus services. So Joe is one of those people, you know, that he packs so much wisdom and insight into every sentence that he, when he speaks that I feel like I almost have to like hit pause when I go back and listen to his interview and really digest the meaning of what he says. You know, he's He's so experienced and he has so much really valuable stuff that, that can help you transform your business. One of his key models is called the progression of economic value. It really was a breakthrough for me back in the day when I read that, when I really realized, you know, about, you know, what the nature of competition, how it works and uh, how it progresses over time and so forth. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a lot of other things in the interview. I really hope you enjoy that. Before we start, however, I want to also announce that, you know, a lot of cool stuff has been happening at the Future Academy. I hope that you go and check out uh, our website, thefutureacademy.com. You'll find a lot of new programs. And today is actually the day where I launch the Brand Workshop, which is a new group coaching program, which is something that uh, if you feel like you need some work with your brand, uh, specifically from a strategic point of view, but also creatively, then this program might be just for you. So the brand workshop is really for anyone who wants to, you know, either reinvent their brand or improve it or take it to the next level. It's really about looking at your brand and your business from five different perspectives. And, you know, uh, I've been doing, you know, hundreds of brand strategies over my year. I've been facilitating the process. And, and uh, you know, one of the things I learned is that just crafting sort of a brand strategy, a classic brand strategy with all those definitions, brand purpose, brand vi vision, mission, positioning, identity, promise, so forth. It just doesn't work if you stop there. And that's why I incorporated three sides, three angles into, into the program. So yes, you're going to do brand strategy. Yes, you're going to do those definitions. But more than that, you're going to translate that into a narrative. You're going to translate that into the actual offering, because often what happens is those lofty abstract ideas that you incorporate into your brand strategy, they don't really come out the other end, you know, other than, than as communications, as visuals and messages. But you know that, you know, today, if you want to build a strong brand, an extraordinary brand, it's really about having a brand strategy that inspires all parts of your business, not just marketing, not just marketing communications. So your brand strategy should sit at the heart and it should inspire everything you do from your culture to your product development, innovation, design, everything. 
and marketing communications, obviously. Anyway, so hope you check that out. Uh, that was my promotional message. Uh, without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Here is Joseph B. Pine, also known as Joe Pine. And uh, if you don't know who he is, you should know who it is, by the way. Uh, go and check him out. You can find him at strategichorizons.com. Or just Google Joe Pine. You'll, you know, he's a TED speaker. He's an author. He is uh, a management advisor to Fortune 500 companies, uh, startups. You know, he's someone who's um, I've had the privilege to have him over and do a workshop with already many years ago. And he is just someone who can really shake things up in your business. So check him out. And uh, the, the, the best piece of advice I can do is even before you get into this interview, just hit Amazon.com and go and order The Experience Economy. It's an iconic, legendary book, and it will go down in history as one of the great uh, books on business and management. So I hope you like this episode. And as usual, I really hope and implore you to uh, leave us a remark, uh, like the podcast, share with someone who needs to hear it. That's uh, the best way if you want to support uh, this content so I can do more of it, have great world-class um, people on the show as we've had before. I'm humbled uh, by the, the kindness and the generosity uh, of people like Joe Pine, who, uh, who always give of their time and uh, wisdom and share it with us so we can all learn and uh, improve our businesses and, uh, and get closer to our dreams and our goals. So thank you very much for listening. I really uh, appreciate that. And uh, as I said, uh, please go and check out uh, the improvements at thefutureacademy.com and the brand workshop if that's something that is interesting to you. Without further ado, here is today's episode with Joe Pine. So, Joe, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. Uh, you were the first show. You were the first person to, to accept my invitation, and you were the first person. <laughs> that was so wonderful of you. Thank you for doing that. This is, it's almost two years ago, so it's almost a two-year anniversary. Thanks for being uh, back well, on the podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure, Tobias. Fantastic. So last time we got to cover, uh, we, we talked really about some of the central ideas from almost all your, your books. And uh, now you just came out with a re-release of the experience economy that originally came out in, yes, in <laughs> 1999, if I remember correctly. Correct. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to dive into some of those um, core ideas and, 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 and really ponder on, you know, what has changed in 20 years and so forth. But before we go there, uh, just tell us, like, what have you been up to lately? What have you been up to uh, for the last two, almost two years since you were on the podcast? Oh, well, uh, yeah, there have been some uh, new things I've been doing. I'm always, you know, thinking about what's going on in the world, uh, researching, writing, and um uh, and then, of course, talking and consulting with companies around the world. So one of the things in the last two years is, you know, we've long been proponents of the of the of the role of, of chief experience officer. Yes. That uh, not necessarily is a long term position. And, and, you know, companies like Disney don't need one because it's all about the experience. But when you're making that transition uh, into becoming an experienced stager, then it's great to have a chief experience officer uh, 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 appointment. So I uh, wrote an article on the five different roles that CXOs, right, chief experience officers, um, um, need to take on in order to transform their companies. <clears throat> and one of the things I realized only recently is that um, 
whether or not you have a CXO, this is what your company needs to do. You need to go, you know, you need to take on these these five roles in order to really focus on your guest of the experience and, and the the uh, experiential offerings that you want to uh, to offer them. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> also, in the last couple of years, we've um, been working on ideas related to my first book, Mass Customization, that talk about uh, the fact that there are no markets, there are only customers. Mm. You know, markets are a convenient fiction we tell ourselves and we don't know who our customers really are. But a customer is not part of a market or a segment or a niche or a persona or a generation even. Uh, a customer is an individual living, breathing human being. Or if you're selling to other uh, businesses, it's an active, corporeal, individual enterprise. And we therefore have to ascend to the proposition that all customers are unique, you know, undeniably, unremittingly, unalterably unique. And therefore, we have to stop marketing and we have to start customering. Customering. So, customering, nope. yeah. My so, partner, Jim, made up, made up that term, customering. And, and, uh, and it really does, though, get at the issue of, of you got to focus on the individual customer. It's not about the, the market and, and that. And so, so I've been you know, working on that a lot, too, and developing what does that mean to really to, to be into to customering rather than marketing. Okay, I'm going to make note of that. I want to come back to that one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so, so a lot of so consulting and, and thinking and, uh, and uh, advising as, as before, basically. So not, not like much has changed in terms of your, your sort of uh, your core concepts or? No, 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 nothing's changed in terms of the core concepts. They're still valid. We have, we, you know, we have come out earlier this year, actually, with a new offering um, that's, a, that's a frontline video training offering. We call it on stage. It's a recognition that you know the original subtitle of the book, work is theater in every business of stage, so that when you are in front of customers, you're on stage. Yeah. And so it takes frontline personnel through the concepts of the experience economy, but in a way that, that we think anyone can understand and apply to their own interactions with customers to, to create a great experience uh, uh, through those, you know, to, to turn mundane interactions basically into engaging encounters. Wow. So how can you enroll in one of those to be on stage? Um, it's basically it's onstagetraining.com. And then you want to do it on a company basis. It's not really geared for individual frontline staff, yeah. although that would make sense at some point. But it's where your, your, your company or your establishment, you know, if you're a bank branch and you want to focus on it or you're a, you're a medical office, you know, and, and you want to really enhance the experience that you're creating if you're part of a bigger organization. Then you can take this and take everybody through the various different modules we have, the videos, go through the worksheets, uh, and and then collectively come in, come together and say, okay, this is make decisions about this is what we're going to do differently to be more engaging with our uh, customers. Fantastic! I want to be part of that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, okay, so before we maybe we should just take a couple of steps back because you know some of the some of the listeners, some of the viewers might not be familiar with the experience economy, the whole idea behind it. So could you just walk us through just like a brief explanation of, you know, where did that come from in the late 90s, you know, and what is it really all about? Well, yeah, so it's so well, first, what, it, what it's all about is that basically we've gone as a, as a world economy, right, from an agrarian economy based off commodities through an industrial economy based off goods. In the latter half of the 20th century, we shifted into a service economy. And today we're in an experience economy, an economy where where experiences are the predominant economic offering, where what consumers and increasingly business people want are experiences. 
and experiences are memorable events that engage each individual in an inherently personal way. Right? That's what an experience is. And the, the most important thing to understand that even people who've read the book don't always internalize and get yeah. is that experiences are a distinct economic offering. Yeah. You know, as distinct from services as services are from goods. That's why you can have an economy based off of uh, off of experiences. Yeah. And how I originally came up with it was actually, it goes way back to like early 1994 or late 1993 uh, when I was working on mass customization. And my first book, Mass Customization, came out in, in 1993. And um, I had often said that mass customizing a good automatically turns it into a service. You know, mm. Because you're, you're helping people define exactly what they want, then they make it, but you deliver it to them individually on demand. You don't have it in inventory as goods are. They're not standardized, they're customized, and so forth. And I was doing this uh, 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 day-long executive education with a bunch of consultants, and one of the guys in the back of the room said, hey, you know, you talked about service companies that, that mass customize. What does it turn a service into? And I said that mass customization automatically turns a service into an experience. And I went, whoa, that sounds good. <laughs> now, hold on a second. I got to write that down. And, and I realized that that was true. If you design a service that's so appropriate for a per particular person, you can't help but make them go, wow, and turn it into a memorable event. And therefore, experiences would be a distinct economic offering. And therefore, you would have a, a um, economy based off of that distinct economic offering. So I later sh shared that with uh, Jim Gilmore, who's actually a client of mine. Uh, and he eventually left his uh, firm and joined me, and we created Strategic Horizons in January of 1996. Our first articles on it were published then. We, the, uh, the big one was the Harvard Business Review in, in 1998 on Welcome to the Experience Economy. And then the book came out in 1999. So you had to, you know, 20 years ago. Um, and and you know, it's, been, it's, it's sold every year. You know, you, it continues to sell. And that's why I said, well, let's do a new edition. Let's talk about what's going on today. And the, and the big thing that we point out in the new preview to the book is that every company in the world is competing against every other company in the world for customer time, attention, and money. Those are the currencies of the experience economy. Yeah, maybe elaborate on that. That was fascinating, I think. So, yeah. yeah so, you know, so, so time is limited. You know, we can only experience things 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if somebody does capture my time because they've created an experience that I find engaging, then what am I not doing? is I'm not spending that time with you. Yeah. And if they create that experience, I'm giving them undivided attention because attention is increasingly scarce. You know, in today's media fragmented world, trying to capture customers' attention via normal advertising just doesn't work the way it used to. And the thing about advertising is it, it's always interrupting the experience that you want to be having at the moment, right? So of course it's not gonna work in an experience economy. And so, so but if somebody does create an experience and they're capturing my time and my attention, then what am I not doing is I'm not spending that attention with you. Yeah. And money is consumable. If I have a dollar or a euro to spend and I spend it with some other company in some other geographic area in some other industry, what can't I do with that, that money again is I can't spend it with you. So you're competing for yeah. time, attention, and money. And that's why you need to shift up into this experience economy, shift up into staging experiences, or you're going to be treated like a commodity. Yeah. And so I guess in your one of my of your many great ideas and models that I, you know, I've come to love. I mean, the, the one that stuck with me the most is probably the progression of economic value. And that's where you explain yep. this, what you just talked about. 
so is that also is that as much driven or is this primarily driven through the nature of competition or would you say like transitioning from because you talked about the different like agrarian you know uh, and industrial yeah well yeah there are more micro level i mean right there are both supply and demand factors so yes on the supply side it is driven by companies who who have to search for differentiation yeah. Right. Because because goods and services are everywhere becoming mere commodities that they lose all the differentiation. They, they have to sell based on price, price, price. And when that happens, you need to search for that. So it's like manufacturers long ago got into service businesses because the manufacturing had become the hardware and, and goods have become more commoditized. <clears throat> and now service companies are see and, and manufacturers as well are seeking that differentiation again through uh, experiences. Yeah. So. So the supply side is they want to get there to, again, capture time, attention, and money. On the demand side is we as consumers want more experiences. We we value our time much more highly than people did in the past. Uh, we want to spend that time on experiences. In fact, we want goods and services to be commoditized, yeah. bought at the least possible price at the greatest possible convenience so we can spend our hard-earned money and our harder earned time on the experiences that we value. You know, research shows that, that when we buy experiences, we are happier than when we buy things. So we're sort of at peak stuff. You know, we don't need more stuff. What we want to mm. collect, what we want to value, what we want to have are experiences. Yeah. And so what was, what was the reason that you uh, re-released this? Besides that it's a fantastic book, of course, and it's been <laughs> selling well for 20 years, of which I guess are two great reasons in, in by themselves. But like, was there another reason for it? Well, you know, one of the things, uh, one of the reasons is, I mean, yes, those are all reasons. 20 years is a good time and, and, and all of that because it continues to sell. Um, but one of the reasons is that they, the term experience economy has gained enough currency now that people hear it, people talk about it. I see all the time where people, you know, they've heard it and don't realize it, and they'll say, what I call the experience economy. You know, not realize that somebody else called it that before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so we think it's time for people to understand that, hey, there are principles, there are frameworks on how you do about do this. It's not just this nebulous concept that's in the air, that there are really ways that you can methodically turn your your company your, and your goods and services into uh, engaging experiences. So even though I, I, you know, I can't help but talk about it as a, as a sort of a 20th year edition and, and, and that, I do hope that people will discover, you know, see it in a bookstore or see it online and go, wow, somebody's finally written a book about the experience economy, right? That's what I want to have happen. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And so if we try to take those ideas into a more kind of micro environment, let's say you're an entrepreneur, small business, uh, who I know, like I work with them, like also with the larger organizations, but I know pretty much everyone is struggling with differentiation and they're wanting always to find new ways to compete. And as you said, you know, there are many inter interpretations of the experience economy. And what I encounter perhaps most is that everyone starts to use that and it's entered people's vocabulary, uh, but it hasn't really turned into maybe a distinct economic offering, as you said. Right. It's more like a, a better service or something like that. Or how would you do that well one and one of the problems is is actually because of the cx movement right the yeah. customer experience movement which came out because we started talking about the experience economy exactly and it sort of got in my mind bastardized into cx <laughs> right because when most people not everybody but when most people talk about cx what they mean is let's make our interactions with customers nice and easy and convenient and nice and easy and convenient are all well and good but they're so, like you say they're service characteristics they're not experience characteristics yeah 
you know, nice is nice, but rarely does it rise to a level of memorability. And that's creating that memory inside of people is core to staging a distinctive experience. Yeah. Um, when we make things easy, often it means we routinize things for our own employees to make it easy to serve customers. But then that gets in the way of being personal. And experiences are inherently personal. The experience actually happens inside of us. It's yeah. a reaction to the events that are staged in front of us. And then convenience is the antithesis of what I'm talking about. Because convenience is get in and out as quickly as possible. It's spend as little time with the customer as possible. And what people value with experiences is the time that they spend. In fact, the, 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 you could talk about all the economic distinctions, again, between all of these. But the, the core one that we point out in the book between services and experiences is services are about time well saved. That we save people's time. They take as little time as possible. But experiences are about time well spent. Right. right. Time well spent. And that's what you have to provide. You have to provide time well spent where people actually value the time that they spend with you. So in other words, so if I have uh, my iPhone here and yep. uh, there's a good app there that some CX designer uh, did a good experience job on, which is actually saving me time and making it more convenient for me, it doesn't really qualify then as, as an experience. Right, as an experience. Economic right. Yeah. I mean, it's... Right, but you're like to, to pay a bill, for example, or to use Venmo to be able to transfer money, right? Saves yeah. you a great amount of time versus getting out wallets and doing all this and, and everything. Yeah. Okay. Um, but then there are other apps on your phone that will allow you to play a game for the five minutes that you're waiting for something or allow you to, um, you know, have some other experience in there, even watch watch TV, you know, on yeah. your phone or on your, your tablet. And the smartphone, we say in the, in the new preview to the book, is in fact the number one competitor for customers' uh, attention today. Because you yeah. can, in any experience, immediately drop out of that to be able to, to be engaged through all the activities that you can do on your on your smartphone. So the smartphone is a competitor to everything then, if, even if exactly. I'm uh, making exactly. mar marshmallows, I compete against the iPhone. Or... <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Um, so, okay, what would your advice be then to like, uh, you talked about it a little bit, I know, but if you want to transition from services as, you know, as the UX or the, the way we talked about them, like great services that provide convenience and so forth into actual distinct economic offerings, like, can you do that, first of all, if you're in the product business or is it just for services or how does it yeah, so so one, if you're in the if you're in the products business, right? If you're a manufacturer, so there's a couple things you can do. One is you can focus on the designing of your experience, mm -hmm. uh, excuse me, of your product in order to make the using of it an experience. So Apple does that. I mean, Apple yeah. products are designed so well that you just love using them, yeah. and there is an experience that you have there. And then secondly, and Apple's another great example of this, you can get into the experience business to generate demand for your products. You know, I can still remember uh, in 2002 was when Steve Jobs announced that Apple was getting into retail. And he actually got lambasted in the business press where people said that, uh, you know, this is stupid for you to do. You're, you're, you're competing against your channel partners that are already selling your products out there. You don't know anything about retail. You don't know how to talk to individual customers. You're a manufacturer. You're a designer. And, and they, Jobs proved them wrong by designing not just an Apple store, but an Apple store experience, right? Mm -hmm. One where you can experience, you know, basic principle of the experience coming. Get your customers to experience the product before you buy them, and the chances you will buy them go up. Yeah. And so Apple is now the number one retailer in the entire world. Um, with um, over, They get over $6,000 U.S. dollars per square foot 
which is 10 times, more than 10 times what the normal retailer gets. Now, obviously, yeah. it's predicated on great products, but Apple yeah. having great products plus a great experience, right, that's when magic can happen. Yeah, and only a few you products. See? Yeah. Huh? A lot of space and only a few products, which is exactly. uh, counterintuitive. Exactly. And everyone else is trying to, you know, stick as much product on the surfaces right. as possible. Because they're yeah. merchandising instead of setting up an experience. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, Nestle's Nespresso brand is another example, right? Created Nespresso boutique where people can come in and experience our product. Lego yeah. with its theme parks and its uh, imagination centers and its, its uh, uh, discovery centers and so forth around the world, plus all the stuff it does online. You've got, I was, I was in uh, Dublin uh, uh, last weekend and, and got to go to the Guinness Storehouse. In May, I got to speak at the Heineken Experience. You know, there's the world of Coca-Cola. There's Volkswagen's Autostadt theme park. There's Ferrari World in Abu Dhabi. So yeah. manufacturers are getting into the experience business basically as demand generators. Yeah. Uh, for what to do. And so let's say you're providing a service. Let's say you do professional services. You're a consultant or, or something. Sure. Like that. So what would, what would be an example? Can you think of something that would elevate? Well, sure. You? So then, you know, so one is to recognize that the easiest way to get into the experience business is to embrace theater, right? That again, mm -hmm. work is theater, that you're on stage, doesn't require any capital equipment or anything just to recognize that you are. So um, you know, I'll give you a few examples. One of our experienced stage of year award winners is a, company, a landscape architect. So they consult on the landscapes and help design landscapes for residential commercial arenas. And they turn their office into what they call the engineering, you know, a place for engineering. And so you come in there and you meet your experienced concierge who has talked to your assistant beforehand about your favorite drinks and food, if they're serving lunch and so forth. They designed it for every room to be particular to the process you're going through. Some rooms are for blue sky thinking about the project. Some are for doing terms and conditions and so forth. And they even have a signature moment. The signature moment is when they meet a project milestone, they take the client up to the second floor and actually slide back down to the first, right, on a, on a, on a playground slide. And um, and so everybody remembers that, right? It's that, yeah. it's that signature moment. Uh, and it's a great, great experience. Um, the, the you know, others, it's about how you, how you, you know, with the theater, it's about how you carry yourself, uh, with the customers. If you're, they're bringing them to your office, how do you design? If you're going to their office, how do you, uh, uh um, uh, comport yourselves in a way that mm -hmm. uh, shows that you know what you're talking about and so forth. But increasingly companies do create, um, 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 places for people to come, clients to come experience, you know, PWC now has scores of experience centers around the world. I was just at the one in London uh, the other week, last week actually as well, uh, and giving a talk there to a, to a group. Um, the, you know, my favorite example is a company I partnered with for a long time called Storizen. And Storizen was founded by Gary Adamson, who read the book and said, I want to do this. I want to I I transform people into premier experience stages. Yeah. And so uh, he created an experience design place in Keystone, Colorado, which is in the, you know, the, the Rocky Mountains. So it's 9,200 feet above sea level. It's a 9,200 square foot place that um, the clients actually stay in the place, right? There's bedrooms in the place. And again, every room is designed for the process that goes through there. And they're actually actors on stage. You meet explorers from different times because they say, you're now exploring this experience economy. We're going to discover exactly what you need to do, and we take them through the process of, of building out an experience map and a, and a project design 
uh, for their particular experience. But the key is to get them to come to you because you can then uh, control the experience. So does that mean that, um, and thanks for sharing, uh, does that mean that it, it, you're differentiating, you're boosting value, maybe giving people more reasons to remember you, to choose you, which is all important, but also then to charge for it or bake it into the price of the service? Is that correct, would you say? Um, well, the, 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 the front half, yes. The second half, I take a little, a little exception with, which is <clears throat> that, yes, you want to create that preference that they use you. But, um, but it's also true that what, what companies do all the time when we shift into one of these new economies is they give away the next level of value in order to better sell what they charge, what they have today. Right. You yeah. know, so Starbucks gives away the experience place in order to, and charges a premium for the coffee that you buy. Yeah. My old employer, IBM, you know, had a phrase, IBM means service, which meant that they gave away services to better sell their hardware goods. But eventually they realized that people valued the services, so they charged explicitly for the services. Yeah. And as the goods became commoditized, and now you buy a hardware contract from them, they'll even buy your goods from you, right? Completely flipping the model. So you always, eventually you have to align what you charge for with what your customers value and with experiences. That means charging for time that eventually you have to charge an admission fee or a membership fee or yeah. some other way of, of charging for the time your customers spend with you because that's what they're really valuing. Yeah, yeah. It, but does it go beyond that, though? Uh, if you think about the time you spend with, let's say you mentioned memberships, so memberships are growing like crazy. And and I guess it's the time you spend, uh, you spend with learning or connecting with the community, let's say online, if you want to learn something. Because also that value that you extract from it and the uh, because I know wh where I'm going with this is that there's that level which uh, was, was was kind of like a breakthrough for me discovering your your thinking about transformations. Right. Uh, so sort of like, I know we get to that sooner or later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I love that because I think it's like when you think about the ultimate form of value. Because I always think that as a kind of brand strategist, I always think about but what about meaning? Because, you know, with brands, you're, it's a lot about it's the experience you have, but it's also about like, uh, what does it mean to me? Not just from the experience, but also just like owning something, for example, or like the meaning can just be in, in, the, in the brand value, basically. But then transformation is kind of feels like, yeah, that's the ultimate level. So maybe you could share your thoughts. Right. On that. Well, you go back to your management consulting example, right? is is like Verizon charged membership fees. They actually charge for a sales call, you know, $15,000 to come to the place for 24 hours, stay overnight, and we'll show you what we do. We show you our process and we give you a proposal at the end of it, right? So an admission fee for that experience. Wow. But in the end, what they recognize is all management consultants are really in the transformation business. The no company yeah. buys from you because they want your offerings. They want to hang out with you. They want to answer all your questions. They want to give you all their data and everything. Now, that's just the services that enable the transformation they want. They want to be a better business. And so that's what a transformation is about. And it's not just management consultants. You know, healthcare is all about transformation. Fitness yeah. centers are all about transformation. Um, um, uh, university environments are about transformation and so forth. Any, and and, and um, it's, it's, it's basically that, or well, coaches is the other one I was going to mention, coach of all kind, whether it's a, a, a sports coach or it's a life coach or it's an executive coach, coaches are there for transformation. Now there you know, are thousands and thousands and tens of thousands probably of coaches around the world yeah. uh, that are helping uh, people become better in, in some way. So, uh, so the, what that means is that all that matters is the outcome, not the input, right? Yeah. That's the key. 
yeah. is that with transformations, it's the out the demonstrated outcome that the customer achieves that is so important. And so that's what you need to charge for is you need to charge for that that outcome. Right. In, um, in, in, in at Verizon's case, they charge the transformation guarantee, they call it. The 25% of their fees at the end of the project were completely at the client's discretion. They could pay all of it or they could pay none of it based on did Verizon do what they said they do? Did they get out of it what they wanted? And wow. so that put their income dependent on the, the customer's uh, outcome. And yeah. that's what's key. Wow, yeah. So would you say then that uh, these different layers, if we go back to the progression, like from the from the goods and the, the, the products, the services, experiences, transformation. So would you advise people to sort of try to bake in all the different levels or just focus directly on like, is it implicit? Is it inherent in the experience in the transformation or how do you see that? Well, there, you know, there's the, the answer is it depends that sometimes the right answer is to subsume all the lower offerings into the higher one. Uh, in other cases, you make money all the way up and down the line. You know, that, that Strize is still made at 75%, you know, whether you guaranteed or not, which at least covered the cost. You think about going to a Disney theme park. You know, you pay an admission fee because you know it's a great experience. And, and, but you still buy physical goods, Mickey Mouse hats and watches. You still buy services, parking services, photo services, uh, uh, food services, and so forth. So yeah. they make money at all of the different levels. And it's a matter, yeah. it sort of just depends on what the environment is and, and how it works, whether it's an all-encompassing offering or whether it's something that you can, you, you pay sort of as you go along as, as with a theme, theme park. Right. Yeah, makes sense. I'm I'm just processing. I'm just okay. <laughs> I'm just a bit slow, you know. You have so many. Right. Well, well, let me mention then while you're thinking about it is yeah. one of the formulations I've taken to now uh, is that any business that's in the business of, of helping people become healthy, wealthy, or wise, right? Healthy, wealthy, or wise, and so wealthy including financial services are moving to outcome-based compensation. At some point, you're going to charge for the outcome. Yeah. And with financial services, the key is to recognize that that money is a means to an end. And if you sell the end rather than the means, then you're gain, going to gain more economic value. What do your customers aspire to become? What do they want to use the the, the money for? Yeah. And so, um, you know, so if you're in the business of being healthy, of helping people be healthy, wealthy, and wise, then you need to think of that you're really in the transformation business. Yeah. Yeah. And, and could you argue that everyone should be in the transformation business if that's the highest form of value in a way, or let's say the well, I always I always say not everyone has to shift up. The problem yeah. is is that you'll you'll eventually be a commodity. Yeah, right. And you can be successful with commodity if you're willing to automate as much as possible and get rid of as much as people and subject to the vagaries of the marketplace as the prices go up and down. So not everybody has to do it. I also believe, however, every every company can benefit by doing it. Yeah. And yes, transformations is the ultimate value. Uh, and and even experienced stagers like Disney and others need to think about how they play in that. There's, for example, in the tourism industry, one of the biggest trends right now is tr it's called transformative travel. That yeah. we are most open to change when we travel and get out of our daily routine. So let's use those occasions to help people achieve their aspirations, whether it's to become more fit, whether it's more well-being, whether it's for the relationship with my spouse or with my kids, you know, wh whatever it might be. So there always are going to be value, uh, you know, value you can realize by thinking transformationally rather than just on 
on the experience. Yeah. There's this uh, good quote by, I think it's Michael Schrager, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this correct. Schrager, Schrager, yes, I know Michael, great, great guy. Oh, you do? Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. so he talks about this idea that, um, I think it sounds like the the, the customer, um, you know, like the, basically the point is that the product is not the innovation, the customer is the, is the innovation, like yeah. when that change happened inside right. a human being. And I love that. I've been using that actually many times. And I think that's very much in line with the whole transformation, the experience thing you talk about, because it's, it's inside, it's a human value it happens inside and not really on the outside. Right. So even like, well, yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah. yeah, if you remember, I talked about experiences being inside, exactly, yeah. outside transformations change us from the inside out. Yeah. And exactly. so it's, it, it's, that's why there's no more economic value you can provide than to help somebody achieve his aspirations. Exactly. And so that's kind of the Holy grail in that sense. And I think like, because we mistake things like, let's say, um, self-driving cars or something. I mean, I, I think when we talk about innovation, uh, I mean, according to both your and in his work, you would say like, no, that's an invention uh, for now. Yeah. But really, when that transformation happens, when we actually can derive all that value, when we can spend our time better, you know, and not having to drive the car, then we can start talking about innovation. Right, because it turns, right, it, it, sa it saves you the time again from point A to point B and actually allows you to spend that time well if you want, in my case, I'd want to read. Exactly. I, read, I read. I like somebody driving so I can read in the car and get so much more reading done. Yeah, And it's just, just sort of wasted time to me. So you spend your yep. time well and it leads to a transformation and then you right. have it, yeah. Right, so in fact, think about this way, you, this, this progression of time, you love the progression of economic value. So yes. the time model is a new model, it's in the preview to the book, uh, it's not explicitly uh, pulled out into a framework, but it is which is that at the bottom is time wasted, right? That we waste people's time, companies waste their time, when time is the, mo the, 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 the most precious resource on the planet, yeah. is the time of individual human beings. And we waste it all the time. So you gotta stop wasting time and turn that into time well saved, or even into time well spent, as we talked about with autonomous vehicles. Yeah. But what transformations are about is time well invested. Right, wow. that we're investing our time, that we get compound interest on that time that pays dividends now and into the future. Wow, that's powerful. My slow brain will have to process that uh, over a couple okay. of weeks. <laughs> uh, so uh, what else, like if you just think about the book now, like what else has changed? Like if you think both in, from the, the perspective of the, the content of the new updated, the, the re, um, what do you call it? The re-release. The re-release uh, re versus the original one, and what else has changed, yeah. sort of from from uh, the the twenty years that you've been working. Well, with the, in the twenty years, the big thing, of course, is the rise of the internet and the World Wide Web. Oh yeah, and that's true. It wasn't the smartphone, really... right? That's the big thing, right? Because that that now competes for time. It's why it's why retailers are having such trouble, right? Is that, is that they they have a time well saved strategy, unless. And, and when the, which means they're competing against the Amazons and the Walmarts and the Carefors of the world. Uh, and instead, they need to provide time well spent. They need to provide a reason for people to come into the store. In 1999, that was a blip on there and it didn't matter. And they continue to ignore it, but it just keeps growing inexorably to where if it grows at the same pace it is now, by 2030, half of, of sales in the U.S., at least half of sa retail sales will be online. Right. What yeah. happens to internet? What happens to retail stores? That you've got to give people a reason to come into yeah. uh, into the store and and into the mall. Wow. Yeah, that's a big so, shift. Yeah, so that's that's yeah. a bit. But at the same time, we often use the internet for the experiences we want to have. Right. Is that we? You know, you think about the rise of Netflix. You know, originally the DVDs, sort of high con high high cost model. 
But now with the rise of being able to have the bandwidth that we have uh, on the internet, that they can deliver instantaneously anything that you want to watch anywhere on any device, right? Yeah. That's again, your competition. Yeah. Reed Hastings, the CEO of, uh, of Netflix says that, that he views his primary competition as sleep. <laughs> right? If you can get people to stay up longer and have less sleep, they're going to have more value with the, the Netflix platform. Yeah, and which actually is another thing that's changed is that we see the rise of experience platforms, which is what Netflix is. Yeah, right. It's geared toward a particular entertainment, but it's a platform that we can get access to all these different experiences. Uh, Airbnb has turned into not just a a room platform, but an experience platform, and and increasingly even thinking about the transformation levels with its adventures. Uh, um, um, uh, uh, offering. So so that now is in the experience business. You know, Marriott and Delta, they turn their points programs not just to get more hotels and more flights, but to get experiences of all kinds. Right. Yeah. They're in they're they're creating an experience platform. So the rise of such platforms, I think, is another big deal, you know, that wasn't there uh, 20 years ago. Yeah. So Besides running or not maybe running to the bookstore anymore, but going online and ordering the book right now, what should uh, people take away from this? If you had to give them like one piece of advice, you know, what is, let's say, smaller businesses uh, or any, any size for that matter. But let's say the audience are primarily entrepreneurs and small businesses. Yeah. Well, basically, I would say decide what business are you really in? Great. Yeah. Right. What business are you really in? You decide if you're in the the you know your, if you're your commodities business, your your goods business, the service business, experience business, or even a transformation business. And as you shift up, you'll be able to gain more economic value when you think about uh, staging experiences and even guiding transformations for each one of your individual customers. Fantastic answer. Yeah. So kind of using that to strategically reframe the business exactly. you're in. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So, uh, okay, so I think we're running out of time soon. Uh, before I um, ask the, the last question and about how people can get in contact with you and so forth, uh, what is the sort of legacy you want to have like with this? This has been such a long run and it has so much <laughs> impact so far. Like what is, what is your number one uh, vision or goal or dream with the whole concept? And obviously we didn't mention your partner, Jim, too much here. Right, <laughs> but, right. Well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Jim and I both want to see people embrace these ideas and use them to better their businesses, which then helps create more value for people, which then helps create human flourishing. That's what, you know, that's what business is really about is help people is help people flourish in their lives. And yeah. when they create more value, they, they can do that. Yeah. So I would say, you know, that that's the that's the key thing is 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 you know I, I several times in the last couple of weeks I have people say you know you should have trademarked the term the experience economy right you'd make millions well no you wouldn't make anything because people would just find some other term yeah and yeah. you know the attention economy or the knowledge economy you know, which are not right because those are not economic offerings and yeah. so we want everybody to use this to embrace the vocabulary because it, within that vocabulary within the ideas and frameworks that we have in the book. Are the ways that you know the the ways and means of being able to create more value for the world? So essentially, you want more people to when you walk into boardrooms, you want more people to say, "Look at this thing that I created. I call it the right. experience economy." <laughs> right. But yeah. although, although actually, I didn't invent it. I didn't create it. I just discovered what people were yeah. companies were doing naturally. Yeah, exactly. You know, and then put, yeah. put a vocabulary to it and and some frameworks that really help describe what's going on and then prescribe what companies can do about it.
Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I think it's a really good mission. Uh, I mean, I just uh, not so long ago came across this stat which says that 60% of companies in the US are not profitable. Actually, the majority of that 60% are losing money, which means about 20 million companies out of, I think, 28 or 30 million, which yeah. when you take that on a, on a global scale, it means that a lot of people are suffering, you know, either directly as entrepreneurs, business owners, or indirectly. Uh, so there's a lot of work to be done there. So. You're doing great work, so thank you so much for sharing that. And um, I'm really happy. I was really happy when I saw that you came up with a re-release. And I think uh, you know uh, because I think that there's a, there's a whole new generation out there right now that maybe aren't picking up books that were written 20 years ago. So it's fantastic yeah. that you did this. So thanks again. Thanks for thanks the second always. time. Thanks for being the podcast uh, for this time and sharing your wisdom. There's so much. Um, so much wisdom there again that I'm, I'm gonna <laughs> my head spin a little bit as I edit this and I I really listen to it, but hey, um, good luck with uh, with the launch and uh, and again you're always welcome to come and share your ideas. They're much appreciated. I've been getting good feedback as well from from the, the previous one. So thank you All so right, much. Thank Is you there, very um, much. The final thing I just want to say: How can people get in contact with you? How can they follow you? How can they engage with you? Yeah, so our website is www.strategichorizons.com, strategichorizons with an S.com. Yeah. And there you can learn about us, about our offerings, our, our uh, certification program in the experience economy, our, all of the books and, and so forth. Uh, the onstage training I mentioned is at onstagetraining.com if you're interested in that for your frontline personnel. Uh, you can link in with me, happy to talk with anybody around the world you know, about uh, particular things. And then um, uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Joe Pine, J-O-E-P-I-N-E. -E. Yeah, good. And I still owe you that round of golf, by the way, which we've been uh, I'm looking forward to that. I know. You're such a good golfer. I want to get on the links with you. Not anymore. That was Not anymore. <laughs> good. Even better. <laughs> I, that was nine years ago, whenever we first met. You know, that's uh, yeah. when I was bragging about my golf skills. And, uh, and that's actually why I didn't invite you to play, because I don't want to see, I want you to know how crappy <laughs> I am these days. <laughs> No, All right. Well, next time I'm in Finland, I'm planning on bringing my clubs. Yeah, fantastic. Do that. We have to do that. Thank you so much. I'm going to end the official part right now. Okay, <laughs> thank yeah, you. Thank you. Hello there and welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Extraordinary Podcast. My name is Tobias. I'm your host. I'm also the founder of the Future Academy and brand consultancy Wonder Inc. And hey, a new year, a new decade. Happy New Year to you. I hope that you've set some really, really inspiring new goals and I hope you're already working on them uh, full steam as we uh, speak. This is the 10th of January 2020, so you should be up and running already and running hard and fast toward those goals. And um, in this episode, I have Joe Pine, or more officially, Joseph B. Pine on the podcast. He was our first guest ever. He's a dear friend. I've, I've known him for about 10 years. I greatly admire everything he does, and uh, I, I'm really excited to share his wisdom and his insights with you. He has a new book out. It's actually a relaunch of the legendary Experience Economy, which he co-wrote in uh, the late 90s. And so we're going to talk about that book and we're going to talk about 
a lot of really interesting uh, stuff when it comes to differentiation, when it comes to building your business, what it takes to compete with experiences versus uh, offerings versus products versus services. I'm going to say that one more time. So we had a really interesting, you know, so Joe and I had a really interesting conversation. Yeah, I really recommend that you listen to it. You know, Joe is one of those people that he packs so much wisdom and insight even to one single sentence that I feel like I have to sometimes like pause and just process everything that he says. You know, Joe is one of those people that has so much, he packs, you know, so Joe is one of those people, you know, that he packs so much wisdom and insight into every sentence that he, when he speaks that I feel like I almost have to like hit pause when I go back and listen to his interview and really digest the meaning of what he says. You know, he's, he's so experienced and he has so much really valuable stuff that, that can help you transform your business. I'm not, not really just saying that. It's really true. It's happened to me. I've been, I've been an avid reader of his, all his books and uh, a lot of the stuff that he has been teaching, I have actually implemented. And I've been really influenced, especially by one of, uh, I, I think is one of his key models is called the progression of economic value. It really was a breakthrough for me back in the day when I read that, when I really realized, you know, about, you know, what the nature of competition, how it works and uh, how it progresses over time and so forth. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a lot of other things in the interview. I really hope you enjoy that. Before we start, however, I want to also announce that, you know, a lot of cool stuff has been happening at the Future Academy. I hope that you go and check out uh, our website, thefutureacademy.com. You'll find a lot of new programs. And today is actually the day where I launch the Brand Workshop, which is a new group coaching program, which is something that uh, if you feel like you need some work with your brand, uh, specifically from a strategic point of view, but also creatively, then this program might be just for you. So we're going to kick off the first uh, program on January 28th. So there's still 17 days to go. And so you can find the program at thefutureacademy.com forward slash the brand workshop. You can find more details there. And if you have any questions, you can always jump on a call with me or just uh, email me or use our chatbot on the website. So the brand workshop is um, uh, what I just want to say. Okay, I should breathe. So the brand workshop is great for someone who is either wanting to, to you know. So the brand workshop is really for anyone who wants to, you know, either reinvent their brand or improve it or take it to the next level. It's really about looking at your brand and your business from five different perspectives. And, you know, uh, I've been doing, you know, hundreds of brand strategies over my year. I've been facilitating the process. And, and uh, you know, one of the things I learned is that just crafting sort of a brand strategy, a classic brand strategy with all those definitions, brand purpose, brand vi vision, mission, positioning, identity, promise, so forth, it just doesn't work if you stop there. And that's why I incorporated three sides, three angles into, into the program. So yes, you're going to do brand strategy. Yes, you're going to do those definitions. But more than that, you're going to translate that into a narrative. You're going to translate that into the actual offering. Because often what happens is those lofty abstract ideas that you incorporate into your brand strategy they don't really come out the other end, you know, other than, than as communications, as visuals and messages. But you know that, you know, today, if you want to build a strong brand, 
an extraordinary brand. It's really about having a brand strategy that inspires all parts of your business, not just marketing, not just marketing communications. So your brand strategy should sit at the heart and it should inspire everything you do from your culture to your product development, innovation, design, everything, and marketing communications, obviously. Anyway, so hope you check that out. Uh, that was my promotional message. Uh, without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Here is Joseph B. Pine, also known as Joe Pine. And uh, if you don't know who he is, you should know who it is, by the way. Uh, you go and check him out. You can find him at strategichorizons.com. Or just Google Joe Pine. You'll, you know, he's a TED speaker. He's an author. He is uh, a management advisor to Fortune 500 companies, uh, startups. You know, he's someone who's um, I've had the privilege to have him over and do a worship with already many years ago. And he is just someone who can really shake things up in your business. So check him out. And uh, the, the, the best piece of advice I can do is even before you get into this interview, just hit Amazon.com and go and order The Experience Economy. It's an iconic, legendary book, and it will go down in history as one of the great uh, books on business and management. Okay. <laughs> Hope you like this episode. And again, if you like this podcast, please rate it. Uh, five stars. And, uh, and uh, you know, that way you support the podcast and uh, I'm going to do much more of it. So hope you like this podcast. If you like this episode, please uh, leave a review, like it, give us five stars. And uh, that way you're supporting the podcast. Uh, you keep me fueled, keep me going. And, uh, you know, so I can bring more great world-class uh, people on the show. And so without further ado, here is today's episode. Just maybe a few more rants here. So, thefutureacademy.com forward slash the brand workshop. Go check that out. You also find on the website there are many updated. Um, you can find it there. Uh, yeah, this episode is also available as a video interview. You can check it out on our YouTube page. So, thefutureacademy.com. You'll find it there, uh, or just Google the Future Academy and. Um, and hope you find our YouTube page. Uh, you can also find it on my personal YouTube page, by the way. In any case, um, okay, this interview is also available on SA, you know. You can also watch this interview. You can find it on our YouTube channels, also my private YouTube channel. Uh, if you prefer that, or if you just want to listen to it uh, in audio format, that's great too. You know, I know myself, uh, it seems like, you know, watching an interview, it can be really, really interesting, and it gives you kind of a little bit more richness and texture. And, uh, you know, uh, but uh, since we're all busy, uh, what I do is I listen to audiobooks and podcasts most of the time that I'm just doing some rote work, like, uh, you know, emptying the dishwasher or, or uh, walking or driving the car. So that's why I want to do multimedia here, because we are such advanced in the 2020s. Anyways, I hope you like this episode, and as usual, I really hope and implore you to uh, leave us a remark, uh, like the podcast, share with someone who needs to hear it. That's uh, the best way if you want to support uh, this content so I can do more of it, have great world-class um, people on the show as we've had before. I'm humbled uh, by the, the kindness and the generosity uh, of people like Joe Pine, who, uh, who always 
give of their time and uh, wisdom and share it with us so we can all learn and uh, improve our businesses and, uh, and get closer to our dreams and our goals. So thank you very much for listening. I really uh, appreciate that. And uh, as I said, uh, please go and check out uh, the improvements at thefutureacademy.com and the brand workshop if that's something that is interesting to you. But without further ado, without further ado, here is today's episode with Joe Pine. I think that's probably good.